Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our news roundup episode for the week and it's going to be very earnings focused today. So we're going to talk about Amazon earnings, then Alphabet, Twitter and finally Microsoft earnings and that will be it for today. So in the thick of earnings season for uh, calendar third quarter 2017 right now and uh, really felt like this was the biggest news of the week. So as I say, we'll kick things off with Amazon's earnings. Aaron, kind of what stood out to you from those earnings? It's just a fantastically, amazingly gigantic, gargantuan company now. <laughs> in fact, I read this morning <laughs> that if the uptake in the stock price holds, that uh, that Bezos will will probably hold on to the richest man in the world spot, um, which he's flirted with before. But this is um, uh, this this one might actually stick, which would be no, definitely very notable, um, mm. especially when you consider that. The two richest men in the world live not that far apart from each other. <laughs> so, in, in Washington State. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. So I, you know, I the Whole Foods acquisition was reflected in there, which, um, I, I, which obviously made it a, a bunch of the numbers grow really dramatically, especially mm-hmm. uh, like number of employees, for example. Right. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I was um, watching. Uh, Scott Galloway, who does this great winners and losers series on YouTube. Um, and this was actually something from a couple of weeks ago that he said, but he said something along the lines of, you know, if you're in the retail space, um, you're being judged right now by whether or not Amazon is thinking of coming your way. So it's not that you're being judged on the quality of this mm-hmm. itself, but but whether or not Amazon might decide to do what you're doing someday, which we saw happen with Blue Apron in it. And it uh, it shook up that company pretty badly. So right. this is a this is a massive company that doesn't seem to be slowing down, and and I, that's kind of the overall vibe from earnings. And um, and it'll be interesting to see how much that can accelerate still. And it seems like it can keep going quite a ways. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think. I think that that feels like a theme across earnings, which I think what you're referring to just now is that the big just keep getting bigger. I mean, the biggest companies. Uh, keep churning out these pretty amazing results, you know, growing rapidly with the exception of Apple, Amazon, highly profitable companies. And, you know, and Amazon, it's basically a decision about whether to sacrifice profits for revenue growth. And what we've seen over the last few quarters is they've kind of gone back the other way. So sacrifice some short-term profitability for uh, faster revenue growth. And we're now seeing that revenue growth start to come even as profits go down. Um, but yeah, just the sheer size of Amazon now. I mean, you know, they've... They've tipped over the last sort of year or so. They were adding roughly a hundred thousand employees a year organically. Um, so if you go back over sort of four quarters, and that was up quite a bit from about seventy-five thousand a year before that, and that was up from fifty thousand or fewer in sort of two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, sorry, two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. Well, this quarter they add this past year rather they added something like two hundred thirty-five thousand employees. Um, and you know, a big chunk of that certainly the Whole Foods acquisition, and their employees are up seventy-seven percent um, year on year. But they were forty-seven percent up just organically, uh, even without Whole Foods and without the Souk acquisition, which is Middle East and e-commerce company that they bought. Um, so just massive growth, uh, both in revenues and then also in um, employee numbers. And and now you know over half a million employees. So up there with the sort of top ten. Um, companies worldwide in terms of total number of employees certainly not anywhere near the size of walmart yet they're still around four times that size 
um, but certainly now the second largest US company, I think, uh, in employee numbers and just an absolutely massive company growing very rapidly and increasingly dominant in lots of different spaces, at least in certain countries. And that's always the caveat that's important, I think, to add with Amazon is, you know, they're so dominant here in the US and in certain other markets, it's, it's easy to think of them as being globally dominant since they're something of a global company. But the reality is I think 92% of their revenue comes from five countries. So, you know, they are dominant in the US. They are very, very strong in, in a couple of European countries. They're very strong in Japan. Um, they've largely not been that strong elsewhere. Um, in China, they've largely kind of failed to break in over the last several years. And, and there was a lot of evidence over the last few months and, and again on the earnings call that their attention has really shifted from China to India. Um, and they're seeing massive growth in prime subscribers in India, doing really interesting stuff there, um, using smartphones as a sort of a channel for getting their services there. Um, I've heard very strong reports that they're going to be launching their own smartphones in India soon as a way to sort of further that strategy. So, you know, really interesting stuff happening there. Um, but yeah, still just, you know, half a dozen countries around the world where they're really very focused. Well, and their, their, so their margin on their international business has actually gotten, has gone deeper and negative over the last yeah. year. I mean, if you look from, if you look for over the last four quarters now, it's been sort of a steady, it's gone from, let's see, Q4 of last year, their operating margin was a negative three and a half percent, and now it's at negative 6.8%. It's going to, there are, and this is clearly the product of investing. I mean, and in fact, I suspect we're going to see that accelerate where their losses internationally will continue to grow for a little while. Um, but, uh, I mean, this is what they did in, in uh, a lot of other, at a lot of other times in other ways too, and it's obviously paying off big now. So you, I think uh, I think we ought to expect them to be investing internationally more um, for, yeah. the, for all the reasons you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and the question is just kind of how... how thinly spread is that investment. And that's been one of the challenges, I think, for Amazon is they've been in a lot of different countries and haven't had nearly the success in those countries that they've had in the handful of countries that dominate their overall sales. And India certainly looks very promising right now. And they've got a strong domestic competitor there and some other overseas competitors are very interested in playing there too. Um, But that's one of the few countries where they seem to have made huge inroads recently and relatively few others. And the reason is that Amazon's advantage really is density of infrastructure. Um, yeah. you know, getting the fulfillment centers and the warehouses close to where the customers are so they can do faster and faster deliveries um, so they can reduce the cost to deliver as well because it's the short hop um, and, uh, and, and then increase the sort of uh, range of services that they offer. So when you get that real density, you can do grocery deliveries, you can do other stuff like that. And so obviously Whole Foods is part of that strategy in the US. Um, but, you know, in other markets too, they need to kind of continue to densify their infrastructure and that requires a certain amount of upfront investment to your point which means sort of increasing losses uh, while they make those investments and the AWS business has really given them cover to do that so without the AWS business this is an academic exercise you obviously can't simply take AWS out and say that's the rest of the business and it's unprofitable but it is unprofitable Amazon has been unprofitable for several of the last sort of six quarters uh, if you strip out AWS from the results. And so AWS has given them the cover to be able to invest that heavily overseas. And it reflects the fundamental uh, difference between Amazon and so many other tech companies because Amazon requires such a large infrastructure to do what, what is at the core of what they do. 
Mm-hmm. AWS is a tech business, and they can export that really easily across the globe without too much difficulty. Um, just in the same way Facebook can export its service pretty much anywhere in the world and, you know, do ad sales in enough in a meaningful enough way to make that worth the effort. Um, for Amazon to grow its its online retail business in a place like India, that's a whole other ball of wax. And it is a right. lot more, it is a much more substantial investment than, than any of the other big tech companies face as they're trying to grow what they do at a fundamental level. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let's move on to one of these other big tech companies and talk about Alphabet and Google. Uh, they also announced um, yesterday, Thursday, was one of those crazy days where there were three earnings releases that came out from three of the biggest companies in tech all around the same time. So we had Amazon, Alphabet, and Microsoft, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Alphabet, though, another example of one of these big tech companies that's already big and enormously successful and just kind of generated another set of results that were more of the same, sort of very strong uh, growth, very strong profits, um, and not really much sign of concern. Some details that are worth talking about, though. And was there anything in particular that stood out to you, Eric? Uh, the general trend I noticed is that well, so there are a couple things. One is their cost per click, um, the which is a rough estimate of what of the value proposition they're offering to. Uh, to advertisers, that number had been going down, and that's a bad trend for Google, and it reflects that advertisers are finding more meaningful um, online advertising opportunities elsewhere. Um, that number actually, instead of going down, actually ticked up a tiny, tiny bit. Um, it was a reversal of a trend. Um, I, I haven't yet really kind of figured out from looking at the earnings as to why that's happened, um, but it is. It, it, it may be the beginning indicator that that sort of the pressure Google was seeing for a long time because of the shift of advertising over to mobile has now at least leveled out. Um, it's too premature to say that with any confidence, but I wonder if that's, if mobile has kind of found its place and because, you know, the vast majority of the people in, in the United States have, for example, have have smartphones by now. And so, um so the penetration of mobile advertising isn't exactly going to be that much higher in meaningful ways in the future. Um, I think it also reflects that app, that Google has done a good job of of um, uh, of shoring up advertising through its own properties like YouTube um, to um, to make sure they have a long term stake in in uh, in online advertising. So that's one thing. The other is that the other bets. Um, Losses are are shrinking, and all these other bets that they have seem to be getting reined in pretty consistently quarter to quarter, and that's also a good sign. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, that continues. And one of the most dramatic things in the other bets is the way that CapEx has come down and, uh, you know, arguably the most capital-intensive part of the other bets was Google Fiber, right. um, which is also one of the three businesses that's repeatedly called out as a generating revenue today. Um, but they, you know, paused expansion on Google Fiber a little while ago. I mean, if you look at what's happened to uh, their capex since then, it's dropped very dramatically. Um, so, you know, even though other bets is a tiny, tiny fraction of revenue for Google, it's been as much as sort of twelve percent, uh, or even fifteen percent, I think, in Q4 last year of overall capex for Alphabet. Well, this quarter it was two percent. So, ninety-eight percent of capex in Q3 was from the Google side and just 2% was from the other bets side. So really dramatic kind of change there in terms of um, the CapEx spend on the other bets. And that's already all about Google Fiber and kind of 
uh, shutting down the expansion there into new markets and um, and and sort of taking some cost savings off the back of that. But yeah, they continue to grow revenue fairly modestly there. Still very small in the grand scheme of things. It's sort of 99% of overall Alphabet revenue still comes from Google, but. Um, those other bets revenues are growing and they're cutting costs and so the losses which are still enormous uh, are starting to come down and this all feels like it continues to flow from the arrival of Ruth Porat as a CFO from the financial community a couple of years ago and sort of additional financial discipline that she's put there um, but that core Google business continues to perform very very well and, and uh, you know you talked about the cost per click coming down and as you sort of suggested that's in large part about the shift from desktop to mobile where the CPCs are lower and so on. Uh, it's also about some of the things that are going on with YouTube where what counts as a click is quite defined quite differently from uh, how it's defined elsewhere and that has an effect on those numbers too. But the fact that that's now turning around suggests they've reached something of a tipping point that the underlying rate of price increases in those businesses as they mature is actually strong enough to offset the sort of negative pressure on cost per click from those transitions that they're going through. So. You know, this is all going to help uh, Google's ad business overall to continue to grow, and, and it does continue to grow very rapidly and very profitably for them. Um, one of the notes that's been apparent for several quarters now and received quite a bit of attention a few weeks ago with some analyst reports that came out is traffic acquisition costs. And this is what Google pays uh, two different sets of companies uh, for um, traffic, essentially. And, and so on the one hand, this is where Google ads appear on third-party websites. Obviously, most of the ad revenue goes to those third-party websites, and Google takes a cut, so it's very high traffic acquisition cost there. But then when it comes to its own sites, Google Search in particular, uh, the traffic acquisition cost is much lower, but goes to companies like people who make browsers. So Apple, obviously, in the case of Safari, Firefox, famously in the past, a deal um, that, that, um, you know, that was renewed a few years back, and, and there were some changes there. Um, you know, to some extent, Edge and Internet Explorer from uh, Microsoft and so on as well. That number, the percent, as a percentage of revenue, has been going up quite dramatically and, and went up quite steeply again this quarter. And Google, neither Google nor Apple ever talk explicitly about what they spend or the numbers or anything like that, or the, even the fact that they have a relationship, really. Um, but there were several sort of remarks on the Alphabet earnings call suggesting, you know, one of the reasons for the increase was a change in the terms of a partner agreement, which certainly sounds like it might have been yeah. the relationship with Apple, especially given that Google's now the back end for Spotlight Search again, um, which is a recent change that would sort of coincide with that increase. But also the fact that you know mobile is an increasing proportion of the total, and therefore uh, the payouts, which are higher on mobile than they are on desktop, are going up. And uh, so you know it's over 12% now, I think, of... Uh, Google's site revenue goes to traffic acquisition costs, and a lot of that probably goes to Apple. Yeah, no, and that, you know, that will continue to be the case over time. Uh, obviously, a big shift of that had to do with uh, with uh, the the built-in search in Apple's devices. Um, but, but, you know, the the trends right now are still a, a pretty stable uh, switching from Android to Apple as time goes on, and. And so Apple's going to continue building up its leverage um, in that relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether that's just, um, you know, the, clearly there's been a, something of a pre quid pro quo there over the last few weeks with uh, Google going in again, as I say, as the back end for search on the iPhone, for example. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any other sort of 
evidence of a shift in, in that relationship and kind of a thawing in that relationship that's sort of really been pulling apart over the last several years. It really feels like recently, and we kind of talked about this a little bit a while back, but it feels like Google's competitive um, animosity, if you like, has been much more directed at Amazon recently than at Apple. Um, and so that's sort of starting to, to change now. And uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if we see, as I say, a lessening of the competitive intensity between Apple and Google and a sort of increase in that competitive intensity between uh, Google and Amazon, who now compete across so many different areas um, in ways that you know, mean that they basically have to keep kind of taking pot shots at each other, um, as we saw with kind of YouTube being pulled from the Amazon Echo Show, for example. Yeah. I, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the animosity between Apple and Google has always been tied to mobile platforms. And the whole point of Android strategically was to essentially build a wall or a hedge so that way there wasn't one dominant platform outside of Google's control when it came to mobile because then that really threatened their ability to, to build their ad business on this on this this new uh, type of device that everybody was going to be using. Mm. That battle's been fought and Android has a strong place in the market and Apple has a strong place in the market and so now it makes sense for Google to just figure out how to maximize those relationships rather than have a winner-take-all kind of approach to it because they're a lot better off doing that than handing everything over to Amazon where it's growing like crazy in a lot of new areas too. And so um, like cloud, for example, with AWS and not that that's new, but the point is, is that's, that's sort of a more fundamental threat to the ways Google might be able to grow. And so there's no point of advertising if everybody shops at Amazon. <laughs> right? Right. right. And so, um, and so that's why it's such a more sort of fundamental threat to Google that way. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could, uh, I think you're right. I think over time we'll see the animosity drop between Apple and Google um, because Amazon will be a much more compelling and necessary target for Google. Right. No, absolutely. And I actually wrote about this a little bit in for Tech Opinions a couple of weeks ago in a piece called, it was something about the disintermediation of search. But the point was, you know, the Apple relationship may eat into the bottom line somewhat. Um, but there are many other things that can eat into Google's top line because they basically prevent people from getting to search in the first place. And that's why, for example, it's really important for Google to get back into the back end uh, in Spotlight Search, for example, um, but it's also why Amazon's such a threat because they preempt many people from going to Google in the first place. Because if you're buying, if you're searching for a product, you just go straight to Amazon. But voice search from also from Amazon uh, is another way that you know people are going to be preempted from going to uh, you know a Google website. Apps in general have obviously uh, meant that search is far less relevant because you now go to an app rather than searching for a website. Social media. And the sort of information consumption that happens there, especially through Facebook, is another reason people don't go to Google because they can get the news, they can get what's going on in the world in other ways. And so lots of that. And it's actually arguably a much bigger threat to, to Google's business. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk briefly about Twitter. Uh, their earnings also came out this week. Um, also slightly better than was expected. There was some funny stuff in there about having... Uh, mismeasured their monthly active users uh, for the last several years, basically. Um, they had a product called Digits, which allowed people to use Twitter as a sort of a sign-in mechanism for apps, um, and which basically had nothing to do with actually using Twitter. It was kind of like signing in with Google or signing in with Facebook to a third-party website. Um, but due to a, a glitch in their reporting, they basically were treating Digits 
uh, active users as Twitter monthly active users, and so it inflated their numbers a little bit. It wasn't much. It was only one to two million uh, monthly active users, but it means their numbers were inflated, and so they had to restate those for the past year or so. Um, their monthly active user growth was pretty modest again, as it has been for some time. Um, daily active user growth sped up a little bit. It's been slowing down, um, and now it's sped up again. It was, I think, 14% um, or so year on year. They continue to refuse to release actual daily active user numbers, um, which is bizarre because that's the metric they seem to want everybody to focus on. Um, but they're still under 50% of monthly active users, so likely somewhere around 150 million or so of those daily active users. And then you've got another 150 million or so, uh, 170 million um, monthly active users that are basically a much larger number that cycle through um, uh, on, a, on a sort of monthly basis uh, rather than being super, super active. So got that sort of core audience that they seem very focused on now and then a much larger audience of people who are much less engaged with the platform uh, and obviously the ongoing sort of abuse and harassment issues that they're dealing with as well. Is there anything that kind of stood out to you, Aaron, with the Twitter earnings? Um, only that I, I thought the market reaction to the Twitter earnings were pretty over-optimistic in terms of what's changing. I don't know. I mean, there are some trends there that are that are favorable to Twitter, but fundamentally nothing has really changed about the product in a meaningful way that continues to be the problem. Um, and the platform is getting tons of negative press for being toxic to a lot of its users. I, I, I mean, I, it, these numbers that we're seeing here are looking backwards for the past three months. And there is some guidance that they're going to be making money in the future, although not very much. The overall problem, though, is that there's not a lot fundamentally that's changing about the platform, and it's one catastrophe away from a really huge hit. I mean, um, you know, the, the, it's it's a it's a platform that's super sensitive to things like even political shifts, um, and there's so many opportunities for people to have a suboptimal experience because of something um, like abuse, um, and without sort of the fundamental changes necessary um, to make it a safer, more enjoyable, and also just a more interesting platform because it's changed in ways that it might draw in new users. I'm still a huge pessimist about about Twitter generally. And I use the service mostly as a news feed. I mean, I don't engage a ton um, on Twitter with other people, but, um, but uh, th there's nothing still new. And... Uh, Right. And so, you know, the, the, it may be a perennially small company. It also might, but it might end up facing <clears throat> some really high risk because of events outside of their control. I think mm -hmm. I think their sensitivity to this is reflected by the fact that they blocked um, uh, uh, they blocked a couple uh, Russian news sources from advertising on the platform just recently this week. Right. And that, I think that acknowledges the fact, I think that's an acknowledgement on their part, that because of the highly charged nature of, of what's often discussed on Twitter, as a platform, they are really um, exposed to some really terrible event. I mean, if it was discovered, mm -hmm. you know, Facebook can kind of survive, uh, not kind of survive, it can absolutely survive, you know, this idea of election tampering, for example, because it was such mm -hmm. a tiny fraction of... of um, it was such a tiny fraction of what of what happens on Facebook. Right. Um, yet, if you look at Twitter, you know, um, Twitter is no longer the platform that it used to be uh, that started off with young people using it as essentially a replacement for instant messaging. You know, now at least, and maybe this is just me and my 
particular Twitter bubble, but so much of the conversation leans toward politics because um, mm-hmm. it sort of is the outlet for everybody to be talking about that. And that just makes it a much more explosive platform. That's a scary business to run, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Those are, I guess those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, you know, Twitter continues to be one of those companies with the biggest mismatch in between user value and financial performance. Um, you know, it provides such an enormous amount of value for so many people, and yeah. yet hasn't been able to make money from that. And you know, they made some progress, and they talked about record profitability this quarter, which meant they they made smaller losses than they've made in the past. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're still not profitable, and there were some one-off items in there that, that aren't necessarily repeatable. Uh, and Q4 is traditionally their weakest quarter for growth, and they've got some other sort of headwinds coming. So, as you say, I think some of the optimism about the performance was a bit overblown. But um, you know, clearly the stock's way down from its highs anyway, and um, you know, any any bit of optimism drives it up a little bit back into into that sort of space between where they've been in the past and where they are now. But um, you know, they have a long way to go still, and and there's still big questions about kind of what their ultimate potential is, and. They continue not to innovate very rapidly in areas that are really, really important to their business. Uh, and that's one of the most baffling things about it. Yeah. Oh, and can I make well, a quick comment about yeah. the uh, about the, the Twitter login feature that you were talking about and being hmm. improperly counted toward monthly active users? That f- smells really weird to me, like from an ethical yeah. perspective. I mean, it's. I don't think it's coincidental that they picked a month where MAU growth was decent enough that they could deliver this little nugget of bad news. I wonder how long they've been deliberately miscounting that. And I realize that's kind of a bold accusation to make, but mm. this kind of stuff happens all the time in corporate America, um, especially yeah. in publicly traded firms where they're facing you know, the pressure of public investors. Mm. And I wonder how long that, that number has been deliberately miscounted. It seems, it just, I don't know, it seems weird that, uh, I guess at any point for it showing up, it would have stood out as like, how did you miscount that? I don't, it, Anytime bad news like that shows up in an otherwise cheerful quarter, uh, mm. in this case a disproportionately cheerful quarter, right. it, it makes me suspicious that the bad news might have been looming for a while and they were just holding on to it until they right. felt like they could safely get away with it. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's not huge. It's only one or two million, but I think the bigger deal is symbolically, you know, no, that's right. active users are the main measure of usage on the platform how could you get that wrong for so long it just does seem a bit bizarre i'm glad you mentioned that all right well let's talk briefly about microsoft at the end here they also reported earnings also had a really good set of results you know very consistent over the last couple of years and talking about cloud as a major strength Um, and finally finally now this quarter provided some actual numbers around the commercial cloud business they've talked about annualized run rate but that's a really misleading number where you take the last month of the quarter and multiply it by 12 so it's very much a forward-looking measure rather than a backward-looking one like most financial reporting is. But this quarter, they finally provided the actual numbers for the past quarter. So we're talking about a $5 billion a quarter business. So obviously considerably smaller than Amazon's uh, AWS business, but you know, getting to be a very decent size and pretty high gross margins as well. So a very healthy business for them. And that's certainly been the biggest driver of their organic revenue growth, which has become quite healthy again after a period of significant... Uh, sort of slowness and decline and you have to strip out LinkedIn which obviously adds you know a billion or so 
uh, dollars in revenue and sort of helps the, the overall reported revenue growth figure. But even without that, you know, they're getting to a very healthy rate of organic growth now, driven largely by cloud, helped also by the fact that the phone business is basically gone at this point, so it's no longer a drag on the business. The surface line uh, return to revenue growth again this quarter, was, which I think a lot of us predicted it would do off the back of the... Uh, the new laptop that they released, which seems to be selling very well for them. So really got a lot going for them and obviously still some massive ongoing sort of uh, cyclical stuff happening with uh, PC sales down and, um, you know, legacy sort of office models and so on going downhill while newer models take a while to ramp up. But they seem to be at the point in most of those transitions now where the new stuff is outweighing the old stuff that's in decline and therefore they're seeing revenue grow. So a company that's really in remarkably good shape at this point given you know the significant threats and challenges to the business a few years back. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Azure is a really interesting um, is it, it, a really interesting outlier in the tech world from a general principle of winner takes all. I mean, that's a really common problem in, in, in the tech world is that it, there is a winner-takes-all kind of mentality. And if it's not one winner, it's two, sort of like iOS and Android in the mobile space, for example. Facebook in the social networking space is just absolutely dominant. And so it makes it hard for other people like Snapchat to find a way in and do something different, unique, and useful. I mean, if you see what you know Facebook did through Instagram, um, through stories, I mean, it just sucked the air out. Um, for a reason that Snapchat could have grown more aggressively. The, the cloud space is, 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 I think, a space where there's not going to be a winner-takes-all kind of outcome. It's been that way because Amazon got a really early lead with AWS and kind of and saw value, I think, earlier than, than a lot of other people did for, for cloud services. But I think this is. I think as time goes on, this is going to be an increasingly competitive market. In fact, I think you're going to see a ton of revenue growth for everybody in this space, because well, at least the major players in this space, like Amazon and and uh, Microsoft and even Google, because more and more people are recognizing the value of just shifting over to a cloud service. But I also think that there's going to be it's going to be a, a really highly competitive space. And even though it's the kind of space that only the giants are going to be able to compete in, I think they're going to compete really aggressively with each other. And so as time goes on, I, I won't be surprised to see Azure continue to grow really quickly, just like it did over the last year. Um, and, uh, and I think Google will continue to make roads on its cloud service. And so, um, yeah, I think, I, I think cloud is an interesting example of where it's actually going to not necessarily have kind of the winner-takes-all effect because it's not consumer-oriented in the same way. Right. I mean, you've got fundamentally, you've got CTOs who are sitting down making these purchasing decisions and they're going to be meeting with salespeople who are going to be pitching really aggressively to them. And that's how that change is going to. And that's a very different um, purchasing environment than <clears throat> somebody deciding if they want a Facebook account or not. Right. No, absolutely. All right, well, let's wrap up there. We're at the half-hour mark, um, and we can cover the companies that we said we would cover. So we'll, we'll stop there. As usual, we'll have... Um, the usual sort of show notes and so on to go along with the episode. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Bye-bye.